Hello Church. It has been many miles, but it's, we're back, and I'm glad I got back, because Braden did such a good job last week. My job was hanging by a thread. Uh, but we, uh, we do very much appreciate your hard work, brother, and what you did for us. And Yes. And all of those that hold things together, uh, we do appreciate it, although you do make people like me look unnecessary, and that bothers me somewhat. But uh, other than that, it's good to be with you. Yes, we're going to do some things differently, but let me explain that we don't do things differently to be different. We don't do things differently to keep things exciting and to mess things up and to, to, uh, to keep you on your toes. No, it is because we are in a relentless search for the will of God. And we are in a relentless, fearless search for wherever the Spirit is leading. And we're going to go, regardless of where we've been before, regardless of our comfort levels, regardless of our traditions, many of which we hallow and should as a, as a, as a wonderful piece of our identity. We're still not going, we're going to use our traditions as an identity marker, but not as an anchor, not as a peg driven into the ground so that we cannot move when God wants us to move. So starting next week, actually, fearlessness is required because we're going to take a fearless look at Scripture, how we read it, and how we apply it, and what that means to us. And it's going to, it's going to make everybody equally unhappy, which is, uh, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so I will do that. Uh, and, it, and eventually, one of the elders will stand up and say, the elders have thought it's, it'd be better for Patrick to keep traveling, uh, but... Uh, for, for now, we're going, to, we're going to enjoy this trip, shall we? Now, I've, I met a young lady today who they've moved into the area from Illinois, and she was actually at Winterfest last week. And I said, you're going to hear a little repeat because we're going to do something today that we did at Winterfest. It's one of the, if you've never been to Winterfest, it's a great time. The, the Texas one has about 5,000 kids. The Tennessee one has about 15,000 kids because Tennessee is closer to God than, te but the... <laughs> going to see God as a local trip. From I'm, it's not coming out right, but the point is, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But one of the real problems is, the kids get all excited about being able to move and be free in worship, and then they got to go home. And that, uh, all we've done is bred discontent in their little hearts. They came loving the church. They went back going, eh. I love the church. I love it even when it's boring. It's helpful if it isn't, but I love it even then. Welcome to the gathering. Welcome, and we welcome the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into our assembly. We welcome all of those who have been faithful, who have gone before, and who gather with us in the gathering and at the table. We welcome the faithful, and we welcome the visitors who are here for the first time. You have come to people who have been down to the river, baptized into the sacred names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptized into the story of the people of God and the community of faith. We are, this morning, participating in the gathering, as millions of others have done for thousands of years. The river of faith continues to flow, and you and I are a part of that story. And now we're going to come talk about the table. Some people refer to it as the Eucharist, others communion or the Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper. We'll call it the table this morning. None of these names are better than the other. It is just a way to say we have come to eat and drink with God. 
before we speak of the table, we need to do some background work. The earliest gatherings of the community that we call the church were centered around the concept of community with God and then with each other. It's a vertical and a, and a horizontal fellowship, very much in the shape of a cross. There was no set liturgy. There were no five required acts of worship. The gathering was what it was all about. It was a time for encouragement. It was a time for sharing. The, the sermon part of our lesson has become a, a formal delivery of the word, and you are supposed to just listen to it. That's not what it was, and we're going to shake that up a bit as we go through the years ahead. We need to remember that this is not faith pinned up. This is not speaker and audience time. This is part of the gathering. And early worship was a noisy, interactive time. And before you do that little knee flex thing that says, oh no, uh, all things decently and in order, I would submit to you that if you come to God's table and don't talk to each other and love on each other, that's not decent. And I would submit to you that sitting like you're at a funeral when you're at a celebration is not decent. Have you been to one of those weddings? where the people look like it's a funeral. That's not decent. That's not in order. We are temples. Now think about this. For, for over a thousand years, God lived in a temple. And if you wanted to go see God, you went there. And you, had, you couldn't even just go directly to him. You had to go talk to his priest. And now Jesus says, changed everything. Temple's gone. You're the temple. You're the priest. Wherever you go, God is. You are mobile tents of blessing. You share joy and love wherever you go. Encourage, share your goods, worship with each other. And then some people see that and say, well, then we don't need to gather. What? Of course you need to gather. In our gatherings, that's where we encourage each other. It's where we sharpen each other. It's where we hear of the needs of each other. It's how we determine how we can be the church. In the earliest descriptions of the gatherings of the Christian community, and we have quite a few of those descriptions, we find common elements in every single one with the sole singular exception of Tertullian. And Tertullian made the exact same description except he always left out the Lord's Supper because he didn't think pagans should be allowed to know about it. So he didn't write about that one. Everyone else did. So what did they do? They had a gathering, assembling, and greeting time. And you heard them say that there's not a formal greeting time today. That's all right. Because in formal greeting time, normally what that, we call it a hug and howdy, or I do. Um, it generally means that those who are predisposed to move about do so. Those who aren't, don't. And those who move about say hi to those that they say hi to all the time. We want to work on that a wee bit. If you're standing there waiting for somebody to come greet you, uh, you're supposed to be greeting. You're supposed to be moving. Now, if you can't move very well, call them over. <laughs> hello. You know, sort of like that. Sorry, you don't have to go, hello. I, I must tell you, though, I must tell you, we were, we were in a shop, um, and, and the person, and I've, I've been asked not to make fun of Southern folk. Now, friends, I'm not making fun of. I just don't understand half what you're saying. That's all that it is. I'm making fun of me. But uh, we were in a shop. Somebody was talking, and very, uh, I'm sure very properly, 
Um, then I got in the car and I turned to Cammy and I said, you know, everything in me thinks they're putting that on. And when they go home, they go, oh, Reginald, we fooled them again. You know, um, I'm working on it. But just call them over, greet them. But there was also a liturgy of the word, a liturgy of the table, a dismissal, and a benediction. But maybe we need to explain these words. When we say liturgy of the word, we merely mean a reading of scripture. And it was available with questions and comments and back and forth. And then you would apply it right then. If, you, if there was something to be applied right then, you would apply it right then. Whether it was love or prayers for healing or sharing of goods or whatever, lifting up the fallen. And whenever we say a liturgy of the table, that's what we want to talk about this morning. It wasn't a formal set of, um, of, of sayings and prayers, although I think some written prayers are very wonderful. That's not what this was. It means a fellowship meal was, was eaten. It was shared with everybody, visitors, rich, poor, those that were inside the community and those that were outside. And it was more than a meal. Jesus was remembered. Brotherhood was reinforced purposefully and intentionally. And this is what we don't get. We read all this stuff about Jesus eating and drinking with the publicans and the sinners. The sinners, rather. And he, he, uh, he ate and he drank with these people. And he sat and he ate and drank with his apostles after they had deserted him at the cross. And all this other. And we, we don't really get it. In the first century, you were who you ate with. If you ate with somebody, you were accepting them as a full brother or sister. You were not judging them. You were not preaching at them you are putting your arms around them. As I said in the first sermon here, empty hands, open arms. That's what a meal was. No wonder then that especially in Luke, Jesus is shown as doing most of his work around a table, hosting a table. And then he calls us to a table. You and I fight over different things. We'll fight over politics. We'll fight over music. Music is what most people fight over in churches. They didn't fight over music back then. They didn't even fight over politics because Jesus didn't let them do it. You ever notice who he picked? He picked some zealots who believed their entire job in life was to kill Romans and anybody who cooperated with the Romans. And they carried concealed weapons against the rules of the day to do it. Who'd he pick next? Tax collector for the Romans. Put him in the same... You wonder how much sleep Matthew got... And then neither of them got along with businessmen who just wanted to be left alone. So he gets a bunch of fishermen who own some boats, and he puts them in the mix. He says, eat together. Come to the table. You are one. Not you are one if you get it all sorted out. You're one now. He ate with them. And then he said, you do what I do. You bring them in. Remember this. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Friends, that's an, I, here's a rule for life. Are you ready? Be as graceful and merciful to others as you want God to be to you. That should keep you busy, I would think. This is not, by the way, just a Sunday event. The church in Jerusalem took the Lord's Supper every day. 
church in Troas seems to have taken it once a week. They were a different culture. They had a different um, weekly setup than others. God didn't say that it had to be done particular times. I love it when people run to, to Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. And they go, no, on the first day of the week when they got together to break bread. Yeah, they did get together to break bread on the first day of the week, but they didn't end up breaking bread on the first day of the week. Because Paul preached till midnight, that made it Monday. The guy fell out of the window and died. Then they brought him back to life. And then after they got over that, uh, then on Monday morning, they took the Lord's Supper. It's not just a Sunday thing. I've worked with elders before that before every elders meeting, they took the Lord's Supper. How many fights do you think they had in the eldership? None. Because they started with this. When churches grew too large to meet in homes, they built buildings. And that's a big thing right now. Teens, let me talk to you. There's this siren call. We love Jesus. We don't like the church. We don't need the church. Well, please remember, the church is the bride of Christ. Don't diss Jesus' girlfriend. It's not safe. And so they'll go, well, well, we, we'll still gather in little groups, but we don't like that spending the Lord's money on, on buildings. Why not? We spend it on Starbucks. We spend it on iPads. We spend it on cars. We spend it on food we don't need. And then we go spend it on diet books. Why are you saying that the point, the place that we build that we can gather together, that's the bad one? Really? I would think that you would have a bit more sense than this. You and I need the group. We do. Think about this way. If I were to say, I need a car, but I'm not going to pay attention to any of those old folk with those old ideas about wheels and engines, I'm, I need to go find a bunch of people that have been around for a long time and work for GM or work for uh, or Ford or work for you know, Hyundai or somebody who's done this before. In a group, you need the experienced. But what happens if you only have the experienced, but you don't have the inventive? Then you get Chevrolet of the 1980s. Ooh. You need the inventive. You need the crazy. Now, I'm, I'm not talking like Subaru Justy crazy. I'm talking about sensibly crazy. But we can, we can do that. We gather in the room. And this is a foreshadowing of our gathering in heaven. He said, eat this with you until I eat it with you in my kingdom. And I was always taught as a boy, that means when we get to heaven, he'll eat it with us. No, no, no. We're his kingdom. He's eating it with us now. He was just telling them, I'll see you on the other side of the cross. And he did, did he not? He met with them in a locked room and said, let's eat. He did it. We don't have to wait for heaven. We bring it whenever we gather. And when they gathered around the table, it was a community event. It was songs, prayers, stories, sharing. It was a fellowship meal. Signs of love and acceptance were shown to each other. It was a come-and-go event because most Sundays were not a day off for people. Remember, Sundays weren't a religious day for them any more than the other days were. It was interactive. It was somewhat noisy. It was a family event. I've had people say, well, we can't let the kids take it until they've been baptized. Who told you that? 
That's not in Scripture. I have been to places before and been invited to the table where only the men ate, and when they were done, then the women and children got to come. I didn't eat. No. If the whole group doesn't get to come, I'm not going to go. Let the little kids have they want to, They want it so desperately. <laughs> They're fighting for it. They don't understand. It's not that tasty. We've really stripped out all joy. <laughs> we have turned the Lord's Supper into the Lord's very inadequate snack. I think God still honors it, although I think he shakes his head and thinks that could be so much more fun. It took a very long time for us to kill this joy and replace it with something else, something very much lesser. The Romans turned, the Roman church turned the table from a community event into a penitential act where one seeks forgiveness and confesses and mourns and shows contrition. The um, Eastern Orthodox Church never did that. They continue to emphasize the table as a gathering of the eschatological. In other words, the future and the present all at the same time. To any Catholics in our group today, let me be very, very clear. We love you and we would never hurt you in any shape, manner, or form. We're merely speaking of a historical event you had nothing to do with. Wasn't you? Your leaders made some decisions that weren't right. Our leaders have done the same, and if you don't know any of those, we'll give you a list. I'm on it several times. <laughs> so we're not picking on you Catholics. We're merely speaking of the history of the table, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. If we want to blame particular people, we could find Constantine, I guess, and blame him. But a table that was designed to be a place of fellowship and hope and joy was turned into a place to say, I'm not worthy. In fact, every priest is required to say, I'm not worthy, every time they take of the Mass. Rather than a table of prophecy declaring how things are today and how they will be, it became a time of pain and sin. Rather than a community act, it became a penitential silo. Kids, I'm sorry, I don't have a contemporary illustration for this. There used to be a television show in America called Get Smart. And it was an idiot spy, right? And every so often he wanted to say things in complete confidence and he demanded the cone of silence. Do you remember that? If you look, it's probably on YouTube, although frankly not worth the search. We have turned the Lord's table into, I can almost hear it going, individual penitential silos it's a community event not this i've had i had a lady once come to me sweet lady good lady say you you guys sing during the lord's supper and that really bothers me because i can't concentrate and i turned to her and i said who told you to concentrate she hadn't thought of that before i said she said but we're supposed to be thinking of the death of christ i said no you're supposed to be thinking of Christ. He said, remember me. One of these days, I'm going to be dirt. I'm halfway there. I'm actually way more than... Someone asked me recently, they said, you're middle-aged now. I said, no. 
nobody with the mouth I've got on me lives to be 114. No, I'm well past middle age. Well, I want you to remember me. But that doesn't mean when I say remember me that I want you to gather and think about how I died. Oh, do you remember the hacking? The hacking. That was the worst. And that leg spasm. No! I want you to remember love. I want you to remember joy. I want you to remember that when I made mistakes, I did it all in. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember Jesus. And if remembering Jesus doesn't make you grin like it does me, you don't know Jesus. What you know is some imperial lawgiver, not the one who said, if I die for you, I'm not going to disapprove of you making a mistake at a table. Some of you may have had parents. If you spilled juice, you were in big trouble. God's a better parent than that. When you spill juice at the table, do you know what it means to God? It means you are at the table. Welcome. He's glad to have you. Some people say, but we have to do it right. Well, then tell Luke, because he got it wrong, maybe. Because the other ones have the bread first. Luke has the cup first. Uh-huh, And I think God probably likes Luke. But have you ever been to a church where they prayed for the wrong thing first? I have. Or where they prayed, back in the old days, they used to have an actual table up there, and it said, this do in remembrance of me, so you knew it was God's thing. And, and the guys behind it would wear a tie in the lake, and, and nothing against ties, I like wearing ties myself, but they, they would say a prayer, and I had a guy once, he prayed for the cup first, didn't mean to, tried to pass it to the other guys, they wouldn't take it, they're going, That's what happens when you read Matthew and Mark and stop. <laughs> Should have read Luke. In fact, they have the cup twice in Luke. They like the cup, evidently. <laughs> so, that said, I, can't, I wish he were here. He could tell the story so much better than I. Don McLaughlin is a good friend of mine. Met him right after I came to America in the mid-80s. And uh, he and I were asked to speak at a singles retreat, and both of us have been married since Noah was in dry dock. So we were going, what? So we got to, a lot of time to talk to each other. He, he came from a family that wasn't religious. And I won't go into all of it, but they decided they needed to go to church. They got there a little bit late, and pff, the luck of it, the best seat was open. I mean, they went to sporting events, and, and that was the expensive seat right up front. So they all walked and sat right up front. They were going, this is great. So then the Lord's Supper is done. The prayer is done. The guy hands him the tray. He looked down. There are four crackers. There are four of them. Each of them took one, handed the empty tray back. And they said the guy just stood there and looked. And they thought, all right, we're doing something wrong. So, so Don turned to him and said, thank you. <laughs> I think God was saying, Michael, come here, watch this. Let's, 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 let's go here. It's a table. Now, some of you are thinking, this is irreverent because you have been taught that religion is all about fear. It used to be. 
But Jesus changed it. The curse is gone. You're going to heaven. Get over it. Enjoy the ride. The Campbells taught this. By the way, I went off notes for a long time, so people on PowerPoint are going. The Campbells taught us, we do not gather out of fear or obligation, but out of love. They said this, but this is not simply about authority, as if we assemble out of some kind of mere duty. Rather, believers assemble out of their attachment to him, love to his name. The love of Christ must be the grand prevailing principle which draws them together. By this affection, the assembled recognize the blessedness of Jesus' appearance. In fact, if you didn't go to church back then, they dismissed you from the fellowship, not because you didn't go to church, but because you didn't show love. Because if you loved people, you would gather with them. Isn't that interesting? And since we're in his backyard, perhaps we should quote a guy named Lipscomb. You might have heard of He believed that the gathering is part of the command of God that changed everything into heavenly acts. He says, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick, administer to the wants of the needy, to be truthful, honest, merciful, just as, as, just as much the observance of the ordinances of God as the attending upon baptism or the Lord's Supper. All these ordinances are intended to conform and mold our spirits into the likeness of God so that we become more and more like God in our feelings, thoughts, purposes, and ways. Obedience to the divine ordinances, whether in assembly or in life, is transformation. This is where we gather to be changed. Here's where we meet the Shekinah. It's a new word for some of you. It means the glory of God, but it was a word only used when they gathered. That's when the Shekinah, the glory of God, was shown. By the way, it's a feminine word. Closest thing I could get to it in English, and it really isn't all that close, but the best I could do is a warm embrace, a hug, a welcome home. What happens whenever you go home to see your parents that you've not seen in a long time, assuming they're decent for people and you're decent? It's like, oh, they're home. That's what God does when we gather to the table. It's through the gathering, baptism, and the table we enter the presence of God, and he enters our presence. The Lord appears at these junctures. He could not have made that more plain in Scripture. All Hebrews chapter 10 keeps saying, draw near to God, draw near to God, draw near to God. Now here's a fun thing that happened in the old days that you'll never get to experience. Sorry, teens. I really am. This is horrid. Back in the old days, front seats and back seats had no divider, no console. And, and it was slick plastic. And there were no seatbelts either. Um, because they didn't care. <laughs> no, they hadn't invented those yet. And so, but helpfully, that they did balance things out by making the dash very sharp. So, as a, I can remember the first car we got that had seatbelts put on there. Dad didn't order them. And he just said, if they're getting, in, just shove them under the seat, kids. And we all did, you know. And, uh, come to think of it, there are fewer of us now, but we, um, here's why I wish that you could experience this, not the terror of going through windscreens, but on a date, guys would figure out how to only turn right, because if you hit the accelerator, she's coming. In fact, we called those CTMB curves for come to me, baby. 
and you would drive along and see two-headed people driving a car. Do you remember that? Now we're separated. God's saying, do you remember when we used to sit close, draw near, at the table and at baptism, at the gathering, we do that. When we approach the table, we do so because we're being drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. We do so because we want to be in community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and with each other. I'm going to read a scripture out of Hebrews 10. Before I do that, would you stand for the reading? And we're going to do the Lord's Supper a little different today. Not so much like they did in the first century, because that's way different. We're going to take a baby step that way, though. It's time. But in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19, the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. At the end of that prayer, there are tables. I see three up here. There are tables also in the, along the back. We're going to ask you to go to the tables with each other. If you walk silently down, take go into the cone of silence and then walk back. You've missed the point. Talk to each other, hug each other, guide each other to the place. If you want to sing, sing. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to laugh, laugh. This is a table. Now, a couple of extra bits and pieces need to be said. Elders, I'd like for you to be somewhere near a table, but you're not hosting a table. Jesus hosts this table. It's open to all. That's another thing. If you see anybody with mobility issues, and if they're not moving, assume they are, that they have them. They might be a visitor, but that's all right. They can take it. All visitors are welcome to this table. Everybody. It's the Lord's table. Who are we to tell you not to come to the table? It's his. You're welcome. Go take it to them. Don't ask permission. Don't worry. Did they already take it? They can take it again. I used to have three services every Sunday morning. I took it a lot. Now, I was quite the hypocrite, because I only gave once. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I had thought about tying a string to the check, just to, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> But Cammy wouldn't let me. Um, so, see, God loves to hear your laughter. We're saved people, forgiven. So when we say the prayer, come, take your time. After a while, George and the team will get up and sing a song, and we'll all kind of gather back around for an elder's blessing. But take time with each other. Enjoy each other. 
And by the way, one real quick thing. Every, every week I hear them say, those that would like to serve, go in the back. Ladies, you can do that too. Starting next week, we'll talk about that. But you're free in Christ. This, this isn't the only meal you're not allowed to serve. I, I... Are you ready? Without fear, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for lifting the curse. Thank you for being in our presence and hosting the table. As we take this bread, we remember the body of Christ. And as we take the cup, we remember the blood of Christ. For we are his body. And the blood of Christ has forgiven us of our sins. We will not focus upon the cross, Father, so much as we focus upon the one who went there and came out the other side alive. In his name we pray and the whole church says, Amen. Come to the table.